You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Woman Abroad, and you may recall previously we had the opportunity to chat with Kevin Lee. He's been over to Canada and been to Smith's Falls when the uh, twinning was happening between Carnew and Smith's Falls, and I had the opportunity to meet up with Kevin last year when I was in Ireland. Kevin has been doing a lot of research and has devoted an awful lot of time to the relationship between the, the Kulatna state and the migration from the Kulatna state to Canada and how that has um, impacted uh, relationships and also he has taken the time to study prior to the famine and those that migrated from that part of the country and had an impact on Canadian life and uh, Joe DeWire is also here Joe is helping Kevin to get a work, a book, two books that Kevin is working on to bring them to the printing presses to get them on the shelves and to get them out there where you can read them um, John Kevin, thanks for the first of all for having a chat and coming along Thank, Thank you very much Austin. And Kevin, it's great to have you here in Canada again um, Last time we saw you was in County Wicklow yes, and, uh, earlier on in the year um, So uh, you have two books going on at the moment Let's talk about the, uh, the, the historic one that would be let's say uh, a more um, academic. academic style. I didn't want yeah. to say in a way, but they yeah, weren't yeah. the academic aspect. Yeah, yeah. Um, what time period, first of all, are you looking at? Well, hopefully uh, 2019, it will be on the market. And yeah. uh, uh, academic might be a bit of a misnomer. It'll yeah. be hopefully something that would be appeal to a wide audience and will uh, have a lot of readable content in it and will cover not alone famine migration to Canada but also uh, post-Napoleonic post emigration and uh, post-famine emigration to Canada and uh, will in a way concentrate on the uh, contribution that uh, Irish people made to the uh, economic, financial, agricultural development of the great country that is Canada today. Now, when you mention the great contribution, you see the, the people that would have come from Ireland in the 1800s, and you say, really, we are covering 100 years, roughly, in thereabouts, they would have brought with them a whole range, plethora of skill sets, because coming from an estate like Culloden, where you had... Uh, not just agriculture, but you had all the supporting services that go with mm -hmm. agriculture, be it uh, blacksmiths, um, carpenters, and everything else. Uh, that, that is very true. Uh, sometimes when you think of the Irish famine, you think of uh, people vacating a kitchen garden plot in a tiny cabin. Uh, that was not always the case. Uh, skilled people like blacksmiths and carpenters and coopers uh, they really felt the pinch during the famine because people were doing their best to walk the thin line between starvation and uh, staying alive and the, the last thing they wanted, would have wanted to spend on was getting their uh, a new gate made or getting a new agricultural piece of equipment made in the local forge or getting a new pail made for their milk so uh, the skilled workers felt the pinch just as much as the, as the cottier class Indeed, but in the major estates like Kulak they were effectively centres of economic activity uh, there were microcosms 
because you would have had from the production of food on the land up to the processing of that food and all the associated things that go with it. So these skill sets, these are people who would evolve and develop skill sets within that microcosm. Indeed, Austin. Yeah, yeah, yes, and particularly in the in the forestry and the woodworking area, as you probably know, you have been to Colatin, you have seen even the remnants of what was once great oak forest. Uh, you had sawmills all over the estate. You had carpenters, and you had a. Uh, on, for centuries, even at that time, you had uh, timber being exported to uh, uh, manufacture ships in the British Navy, and uh, uh, the hall of the Great Hall, or the roof of the Great Hall in Trinity College, where many Canadians would go to see the Book of Kells. That is all made from Culloden oak, and uh, uh, Westminster in England uh, is uh, has in it uh, oak that came from the Great Forest in Shibala. So we're all very familiar, and this year particularly with the movie out Black 47, we're all very familiar with 1847. And in Canada also, the people, uh, certainly those with Irish troops, would be very familiar with 1847. But the period that we're talking about here goes before that. And we do know that thousands of people emigrated prior to the famine and, they, and brought with them uh, educational skills also. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Many of those who emigrated in the earlier part of the century were uh, quite well-to-do farmers. Uh, well, when I say well-to-do, they had maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 acres of land. Uh, they came from a moneyed economy uh, where they, they had money. And uh, not unlike the west of Ireland, when I say money, the west of Ireland, people were dependent on producing, working the land, and uh, they paid for their rent by the sweat of their brow on the uh, landlord's estate and really the money was not an item that they, that they really handled but the people who emigrated in the early part of the 19th century they would be very literate uh, uh, would come from, from a moneyed economy and uh, they would be intent on making a, a go of living and developing their skills in, in a new country and also of course along the east coast I know Dublin was a thriving economy, so access to Dublin port and access to market would have helped that portion of the country as well and have greater uh, independence rather than dependence for a lot of people. Yes, indeed. If you go to the southeast corner of Ireland, uh, Wexford is the model county, and for many a year it had supplied uh, uh, barley for the Dublin breweries. Of breweries of the famous Guinness brewery, they, all the malting barley came from the county of Wexford. Very intensive uh, agriculture, uh, a lot of labour required, and uh, yeah, it was. Um, when, you, when people think of the famine, you you you, you think of uh, maybe people solely dependent on the potato, or maybe maybe the odd barrel of herrings and uh, what have you. But there was a vast difference between how the famine affected the east coast of Ireland or the eastern counties from Lowood to Wexford and how it affected from Donegal to Cork on, uh, on the other side. There was a very, very different uh, situation in both areas. The other feature of all of this, of course, was that after the Napoleonic War and the wars of 1812 in Canada and US Canada, uh, the British were anxious to uh, plant Canada yes. in order to uh, yeah. put in a defence uh, situation yes. and there were people coming back from the new Napoleonic Wars who were ready to work anywhere yes. because it wasn't there yes. for them. Yes. So that would have had uh, people from 
from Wicklow, Wexford, all around southeast, and but particularly I would say southeast would be yeah. a lot. Yeah, you have a, you have a, a, a major depression following the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, uh, the Napoleonic Wars, the, uh, the the British Army required. Uh, huge amount of foodstuffs which were produced in Ireland and uh, was one of these great depressions which followed in the Napoleonic War. Not only that, but in 1817 you had a major typhus outbreak which was particularly prevalent al- al- along the East Coast. Uh, you had a lot of guys in Yo- who were originally members of the Yeomanry Corps in, uh, in Wicklow and Wexford who fought in the 98 Rebellion, would have been taught how to bear arms and would have had military drilling and uh, they were welcomed with open arms in Canada. But, uh, Mainly to prevent an incursion from the across the border from, mm-hmm. the, from the United States, and many of them in the 1820s up to 1832 would have found employment in building the, the Rideau Canal, which was uh, not built for trade but built as a, a defensive uh, strategy, mm-hmm. linking uh, by town of Ottawa with the with the town of Kingston, and many many people from Wicklow and Wexford. Uh, uh, worked and earned their livelihood on the building of that canal and were later rewarded with uh, land grants along the, along the hinterland of the canal. Mm-hmm. And there's an area of course not too far from us here, Corktown, uh, which was where a lot of the navvies would have had to live and hewn out uh, the, side, the side of, of what was the canal uh, and the conditions were somewhat primitive yes. that we're having to live in. Yes, I believe. I wouldn't be an expert on that area, but I am familiar with uh, the wonderful work done by the Grey Nuns with, uh, with Irish immigrants who became ill and fell on hard times here in the town of, in the, in the town of Ottawa during, the, during and immediately after the, the completion of the work on the canal. Now, the number of people, are, would you have any handle on the approximate type of numbers that would have been coming out of Southeast at that time. Uh, yes, if, if you take the famine years alone between uh, 1845 and 1852, 5,982 people left the flat in the state in South Just one estate in South Wicklow and were assisted to emigrate to uh, from the port of New Ross in South Wexford uh, to Quebec. But you must remember that assisted emigration from the estate, the first assisted emigrants from Latin left in 1831. And if you project back further to the post-Napoleonic area that we've been talking about, there would be, uh, again, many, many thousands of... farmers who are better healed and uh, what have you what happened at that period and the immigration continued continued continuously after the famine right the 1860s 1870s uh, when the steam the steam took over from the daily sales that really uh, uh, accelerated the, the process of immigration now the connection between the southeast Wexford Waterford area is particularly strong with Newfoundland and this goes back even to the 1600s. I'm sure there would have been a spillover even from Wicklow that would have had a little some degree. Yeah, not too much. Not too much, but again, again, there would be the tradition of emigrating to Canada that you wouldn't have had in the west of Ireland or in right. Cork or in Kerry. That uh, people knew of people going to Canada, and throughout the century, you had a, a development of what you would call chain migration. People were writing back to their neighbours and their friends and their kinfolk at home in Ireland that uh, there was plenty of good land in Canada and that uh, 
the climate, at least in the summertime, was reasonably good and uh, life was good. And uh, rather than trying to week out a living on maybe a half an acre in Ireland, you could have a 50 or an 80 acre farm in, in Canada. When you mentioned change migration, I was listening to someone speak recently and they mentioned how the Irish were particularly good at networking on the yes. Canadian side. And that uh, one of the goals and ambitions was that to get established, earn some money, send it home so as they could bring somebody exactly, else. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that the others, the English and the Scots, didn't have that network or didn't yeah, have the yeah. same drive to do that. Yeah. 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 In, in certain towns, uh, in a lot of towns, uh, uh, Rockville, Barry, towns along the, along the Rideau Canal, they had colonies uh, farming and uh, people went out they were looked after by their neighbours and people kept an eye out for them made sure they were settled that they weren't short of uh, anything when they arrived there and then they uh, from these hubs these colonial hubs they spread outwards and even southwards across the US border and uh, we find Latin descendants as far south as uh, California and people from California are returning to find their roots in Latin. Right, yeah. right. So uh, I know you and I talked previously about the connection between Smith's Falls particularly and Culatin and of course the Balfs. Yeah. Um, that was as a result of assisted passage and at that time um, Lord Fitzwilliam owned uh, some, had an interest in the rail and was yeah. anxious to facilitate the development of that so it was a win-win from his perspective. Uh, yeah, well that, that applied particularly to, uh, to New, New Brunswick and uh, one ship in particular the, the, the Star which sailed from New, New Ross to New Brunswick. The railway company had a had requested a hundred able-bodied workers to work on the building of the railway in which uh, Eric William had a share. Uh, seemingly wires got crossed along the line somewhere and uh, instead of a hundred able-bodied workers arriving you had uh, people of all ages. There were men over 70 years of age and there were children as young as one and two years of age right. and infants that arrived in uh, in, in, in Canada. Right. To work, right. yeah. So when you mentioned that that was the that geography down with New Brunswick. In the research that you have been doing, um, have you reached back into the archives down New Brunswick to try and see if the uh, relationship still exists on a similar way that it does in uh, Smith's Falls? Oh yes indeed, yeah, yeah. Even this year with our public, you were familiar with our homework track that takes place uh, biannually, mm -hmm. uh, a fair proportion of those came from uh, people who had travelled on the start of New Brunswick and uh, I'd say pro rata there's more people come, more people who are descendants of people who stayed on the start than come than, than, than people who stayed at Quebec. Right, right, yeah. right. So, um, how long since this labour of love that you've engaged in and the research you've been doing, when did you start and how long did you devote uh, to this? Well, I, I, for I arrived in Carnew as a, as a history teacher, a young history teacher, a new graduate and uh, uh, punched in some idle hours during my uh, holidays from school. I spent a lot of time in the National Library in Dublin, the manuscript room in Dublin and uh, there is a mighty, mighty volume of papers from the Colletton Estate which were donated to the National Library by the, by the Fitzwilliam family before they left the area and it's a wonderful, wonderful record of uh, life on an Irish estate and uh, probably more complete and gives a more complete picture of life on an Irish estate than of any other part of, uh, any other part of Ireland. 
the people who came to Canada, for example, uh, the immigration books are there. They give the the name of the husband and the wife. They give the names of all the children. They give the uh, ages of the children. They give an indication of the amount of land that they had. Uh, uh, they give uh, in the in the side column is written the name of the vessel on which they uh, sailed. Uh, also, when they acquired from the estate the chest in which they packed their belongings, the word chest is written alongside their name, and it's a it's a very very complete record of people who. Uh, set forth on a 60 mile journey to New Ross and hence on the 3000 mile journey to Quebec. I'm going to switch over and, and talk to Joe DeWire and Joe um, where we tie in on this and again welcome um, you would be um, while uh, you mentioned your background is temporary but you would have some uh, interest or some connection that would bring you back way back from your generations to Ireland yeah, I think it's just as a, an Irish Canadian, you've always known that you know Ireland is a, a piece of your puzzle, right. and uh, and I just wanted to get back and to see it and, and to discover. And uh, with the Culloden Canadian connection, um, a friend was actually looking at his history in the Culloden area, so I went with him, and uh, it's really interesting because I, I chose to stay with um, the Culloden area and to learn about it, thinking um, correctly that I was going to learn a lot more about Ireland by having these. People People that would uh, be so close to us and explain everything. Right. It's been a really interesting story to hear. Now, when you talk about interesting stories, the reason I jump back to you is because the other book that um, Kevin is working on, you're telling me, is a shoebox um, project. Right. And explain what the shoebox project is. Well, um, when our one friend went back to Ireland, uh, he, he tripped across a cousin. Um, who had literally a shoebox with photos of him in it because there was kind of a transatlantic conversation going on from the famine until now uh, between the family and so there were you know photos of all of his relatives and letters that were passed back and forth and so it's a really interesting shoebox that captures literally his entire heritage um, you know sort of from the 1840s up until now so um, we think that and we know for a fact actually that there are a number of these shoeboxes out there if you will and so um, Kevin and Elner have come up with 26 right now and we're we're talking about publishing a collection of those stories and some of the interesting facts and you know and, and what people have done when they got to Ireland and and sort of where their uh, their descendants have landed so while we were chatting with um, Kevin about what we use the word academic but it's not really an academic right. history the shoebox is really a social history right yeah a social history and some Thing that will be sort of an, an easy read, if you want to call it that, where where you can read the story of a specific family, you know, a number of pages, um, and if you want, or you can read the entire book. It'll be and of course you have the wonderful um, artifacts, right, that come with that that were in the shoebox, be it in the form of photographs or yeah, the photographs, the things that and there's physical artifacts as well. Um, one of the families actually has a Wicklow chest. Still. Okay. And so, you know, we'll be able to publish a photograph and show you what a chest looked like that left in 1840, you know, 45, 47. So uh, there are things like that that are really, really interesting. So, Kevin, when um, you started in on this aspect of the project, were there any people that you have come across? I'm sure there are people you've come across from around uh, Akram Kanyu and Kulatin area. Um, that aside from the one we've just heard about that you know um, and you've come across their social history from both sides 
perhaps the most uh, wonderful tool we have and it's an off malign tool is, is social media and Facebook and uh, Twitter and uh, you know we hear the much damage it can do with uh, cyberbullying and what have you just giving one example uh, we this time last year at Halloween in, in, in 2017 we went to a little townland called Motobower which is on the gory side of Tarnu and uh, with the old collapsing maps we identified where six, seven, eight families lived before they were assisted to emigrate to Canada and we went around and we looked where the houses were located and uh, where the fences were and where the water for the well, where the, where the fetch the water was located and we just mentioned on social media on Facebook it wouldn't be wonderful if um, some of these people could come back and reach out to us and uh, uh, be reunited with the land that they left during the famine years. Mm -hmm. The following day, an 84-year-old woman near Ottawa, on Facebook at 84 years of age, mm -hmm. sent me a photograph of the chest that had been provided by the Culloden Estate uh, and, uh, and uh, was brought to Canada on uh, Easter Sunday, 1851, right. left Carnew. And since then we have, uh, I think it's five families from that town and have all been back to us and they all have located uh, the location of the of the, hou the little houses that they left. Uh, sometimes it's only the, the gable end of a farmyard built into a wall, mm -hmm. sometimes it's not even that. In one case, uh, we, all we could identify was uh, an apple tree where the orchard had been. Right. And, uh, and uh, a damson tree, now Canadian listeners might recognize the damson as a type of plum and it was here that they made their jams and their mm -hmm. preserves and, mm -hmm. and uh, some 150 years later those trees or the offspring of those trees are still grown in the corner of the field. So would you see after you put again this into paper and into a book, would you ever see some of this coming together as a type of museum? Oh, oh, indeed. Yeah, yes, indeed. Yesterday in Kingston, we met a we met a wonderful lady called Maureen Quinn, and she had with her a, a little prayer book, not as, about the size of a cigarette packet, even smaller. But it was brought to Canada by a guy called Joe Dunn, who was assisted to emigrate in 1831. Every major event in Joe's family was recorded in that. He. He recorded the day his wife died from typhus uh, in 1822. Uh, amazingly, he recorded the date in May, May the 4th, 1831, when the ship that he sailed to Canada on left Dublin. Right. Uh, that enabled us to find the name. We, we found that there was only one ship left uh, Eden Key in Dublin for Quebec on that day. Right. Straight away, we knew the ship that he sailed on. And subsequent events through the, through the 19th century were written into the column and uh, side columns of this little prayer book and uh, it still exists in the family uh, well Joe first acquired that prayer book around 1790 right. and it's still in the Quinn family or the descendants of Joe Don they still have it uh, as, a, as a family heirloom and uh, it tells the whole story of a family over a period of uh, over 200 years mm. so while we've been ta chatting with um, Kevin and Joe Elmer has been sitting here with us as well, uh, Elmer Lee. Uh, Elmer, first of all, welcome and thanks, Marianne, again. Thank you very much, Austin. So, you've been roped into this and are very much a part of this whole project for as well. For sure. For several years, um, I, I've been the event manager for facilitating Canadian groups to Ireland. Yeah. And I'm Kevin's PA. And, uh, 
what we try to do with the Latin Canadian Connection is to bring a big group of uh, Canadians, like 20 Canadians, to Ireland every second year. Right. And uh, they may stay, spend maybe three weeks or four weeks of their of their holiday time in Ireland, and they would come to us for a period of seven days. Right. So we design a schedule um, for our Canadian visitors based around genealogy and history um, in uh, in Shalala, Carnewtonahili, and we have um, all kinds of events, uh, barbecues, history talks, visits right. uh, to the Epic Museum. Um, uh, genealogy workshops, etc., etc., and one particular, uh, particularly lovely event that we had uh, this year uh, in July was um, an ecumenical service in Tinnihili, um in the middle of a field owned by the Rothwell family and um, at a mass rock. Okay. So Kevin would tell you better the story, but. Um, the story goes that a mass was being said at that rock as 3,000 soldiers headed towards Vinegar Hill and uh, Tin Healy was in flames. Right. So we came together this July with our Canadian friends to celebrate um, how far we've come from those dark days and, and um, religion doesn't matter anymore uh, in terms of you know who we are whatever we we all live peacefully we work together um, so uh, the years in between then we may bring uh, Irish groups uh, to Canada for example last year we twinned with Smith's Falls yes. as you mentioned earlier yeah. Um, and you're looking to bring a group to Grosseal in the future? Next year, in yeah. 2019, that's yeah. the plan. Yeah. Um, but apart from the showcase events, the bigger groups, um, individuals would come to us um, yeah. in Carnew looking for their roots and uh, we can facilitate that and with all, all of the accurate maps we can actually bring them back to the actual site of their homestead. So, um, I still have to find my place in Shillelagh. Well, I dare say Kevin Lee would help you with that. Mm, we've talked about that. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, actually, there was a Comerton turned up somewhere on these days. Yeah, they should have been. Mm -hmm. I found it somewhere. We have to, well, I haven't got back that far, but we have to, we have to figure that one out. Um, but this week in particular, we're delighted to be back in Canada. Yeah. Uh, we landed in Toronto last Friday, and Joe Dwyer, our good friend here, has been escorting us uh, from city to city. And right. we really would love to thank uh, Tom Jenkins for facilitating this trip. And um, we've been to um, Hamilton, right. we've been to Kingston, um, Ottawa, and uh, we fly back to Toronto on on, um, on Saturday. Right. Um, so we met in the, these few short days we met so many uh, descendants uh, from the Kalatan estate it was a privilege to meet them um, some of them we knew before and others we've been communicating with for many months and years on right. social media yeah. so it was an honour and a privilege to be here right. so um, as I said the next one you're organising now is for the Crossley in the coming year if um, anybody out there is, you have a website where people can access Sure, it. so if you check us out on Kalatan Canadian Connection dot com www dot and um, fill in um, your request form and uh, you make contact with us and uh, we can take it from there and I imagine you're going to give people a lot of flexibility <coughs> in their ability if someone wanted to come for three weeks you'll basically say this is the weekend that we're doing gross seals so build your own schedule around, around about that, absolutely yeah. Yeah. for sure so it gives, sure. gives people great flexibility um, 
while we mentioned that uh, your book, Kevin, you're planning for 2019, the social history, would you hope to achieve that in 2019 also? Yes, indeed, yeah. Right. Hopefully both will come online. That would be fantastic. And um, again, the same website for details on that? Details on that will keep people keep informed on that. And, and we would appeal uh, for possibly people listening to this programme whose ancestors came from Wicklow or Wexford and uh, to have the old artefacts stuck away in the attic and that's been handed down from generations that might be a, uh, an item of uh, farming machinery or it might be a spade or a fork, it might be a notebook, it might be a letter from uh, the came back from Ireland in the 1830s or 1850s. Get, get, in, get in touch with us and ho hopefully we might be able to fit you into our, into our shoebox. Hopefully we might find a shoebox to put you in in your artefact. <laughs> uh, my yeah. wife is trying to encourage me to get rid of all the shoeboxes yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I have to also tell you that that time last year when uh, we connected uh, or earlier this year at, at Colatin uh, I had not spent a lot of time around Wicklow previously and I was thoroughly impressed that it's a beautiful county to the extent that one of my partner, business partners is there at the moment actually on my recommendation um, and visiting around parts of Wicklow and whether it be down on the south end down there Carnew or up north uh, where you send a lot and uh, Lara and Clara in the land there. And the beaches. I know the beaches. Like, it's, it's a wonderful county and we did the walk around Avoca as well. And you walked coming to Pinog Wood. We did Pinog Wood as well. So, yeah, and the last, uh, last remnant of the ancient oak forest. Yes, yeah, so it's mm. our intent to go back and uh, spend time back there as well. Um, Eleanor Kevin, Joe, it's been fantastic having a chat. It's been great linking up with you. And uh, when you get closer to organising uh, the publication of the books and your gross yield trip, uh, we'll come back and we'll talk further. Thank you very much, Austin. Thanks, Austin.